0: Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. If you are a new listener, we're happy to have you here. For those of you who have been along for the ride, you know the deal. We live and die by this team, just like all of you, and we make no apologies for that. So welcome in to this episode of the Bastards Roundtable. We'll be talking all things MLB and Red Sox in this episode. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me on Twitter at coloroftheiris. Joining me tonight from the mile-high city of Denver, Colorado, by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, is Andrew Duan. Andrew, what's going on? Not too much.
1: You know, coming off this uh, bad stretch for the Red Sox, resetting the uh, series, hopefully By the time you're listening, we're off to a 1-0 start, but that remains to be seen. Um, In the meantime, though, please like and subscribe on any podcast forum, and also check out the YouTube channel. Click that uh, bell so you get the notifications whenever there's a new video posted, because those go up mostly daily, so there's some good content coming your way.
0: Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Hit up all that. And also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Windham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how you doing?
2: Not too bad. Red Sox Angels series underway. So we'll be covering that on Monday night for a Tuesday morning release. That might be the only uh, Monday night recording this season. So... um going to be a weird start to the week. <laughs> but other than that doing good.
0: Yeah, a little bit of a weird one with Marathon Monday coming up, which is always a fun time around these parts. So, uh but let's get into our our round table stuff. We got a couple of cool topics for you guys tonight. We're going to start with uh the pitch clock and particularly some former players, well, one former player of the Red Sox and one current player of the Red Sox who don't seem too happy about it. Uh, That's pertaining to Nick Pavetta and Rich Hill, who both in their own way sort of, I don't know, poo-pooed the pitch clock a little bit, said that they weren't a big fan of it. Um, Nick Pavetta, for his part, said that he felt like it was too fast. Um, Rich Hill, on his part, said that, he believed the fans who paid money to go see these games are getting robbed of the experience a little bit because of the pitch clock. So some differing opinions on this. And obviously the pitch clock, first year it's been installed. It's going to be a hot topic amongst players and fans alike. So, Andrew, um, what are your thoughts on these two guys and what they had to say about the pitch clock?
1: Honestly, I love it. <laughs> i used to be able to send full thought like well thought out texts in between pitches and now i'm not looking at my phone as much i really enjoy it i get what they're saying like well actually no i can take it back. i really don't get what they're saying they're still playing nine inning games it's not like we're back to those seven inning covid double headers so I I think it's actually been pretty good. I've had some friends that have gone to Red Sox games that really aren't you know diehard fans, and I asked them. I was like, "What did you think?" And they're like, "I, I loved it." You know, it's more engaged. And Nick Pavetta to me has always been a pretty fast worker, so I'm not too sure if it's more of a, a rhythm thing for him. But I I I didn't expect to hear that out of him because I thought it helped him. I don't know. I, I really have yet to see the downside. I haven't seen any sort of injury that's been caused by it um i know a lot of people are like well what if the guy starts his wind up but then they call it i, I think that's happened once really hasn't been an issue have we had a, a, a violation during a red sox game in the last two series because if there has been i don't recall it and if there has been it hasn't been more than one because i probably would have been like huh maybe this is going to be more of an issue, but yeah, I enjoy it. I think it's been pretty good. Could they add maybe a second or two more to it when there's a guy in base? I think the minor league is like 18 seconds. So I don't know. I, I'm a full, full fledged fan on it. I I hope it doesn't go away.
0: Yep. sure.
2: Rich Hill loves to complain. Um, he was also ironically a part of that, 2022 clubhouse that apparently was not a very good one. Um I, Like Andrew, I find myself dubbing around on my phone way less. Now I'm way more locked into the game. I'm a purist. I was at one point heavily resistant towards the pitch clock and a lot of other changes they've made. There's still some that uh, they've made. I'm not crazy about, but I think the pitch clock is a step in the right direction. Uh, we haven't seen any injuries that you could possibly blame on it, you know, due to the faster pace. There's none of that going on. And I think the league has adjusted to it fairly well. So I think there's probably just a little bit more adapting to do. Um, you know, the, the Astros have a, have a problem with uh, Luis Garcia. Not only does he have the pitch clock, but he can't rock the baby anymore. Um, so there there are a handful of pitchers that have been adversely affected by it. But uh, all in all, I, I think it's good for the game. And um, people just need to get with the program. And another guy who was struggling with it in spring training, Tanner Houck, off to a very good start, you know, since, you know, the season started uh, a few weeks ago. So um, that's just another sign that, you know, players are coming around and it's here to stay, whether we like it or not.
0: Yeah, I agree. And this is always, this is bound to happen. Like, you knew that there were going to be pitchers that were going to complain about it, despite the fact that your union uh, bargained it into existence, so sorry. <laughs> if you're complaining about it, blame your union, uh, which is one of the strongest unions in all of pro sports, by the way. So I don't I don't know if you have much to really complain about. Um, but, yeah, like it, we expected this. We knew that there was going to be pushback. Guys like Clayton Kershaw, who before it was even official, was saying, well, I'm going to take my damn time and I don't care what the, the pitch clock says. Well, now it's in there and you do have to take your time. And you do have to get the pitch in there uh, by time. So he's adjusted to it. Tanner Houck, I you know, I know that on the Nesson broadcast the other day, he sort of gave a diplomatic answer towards it. But you could tell he doesn't like it either. They, they will all adjust, okay? They will all get used to it. Maybe Rich Hill won't. I don't know. Like, Rich Hill is, what, 45? Like, he's – maybe he's one of those guys that just – he's never going to get used to it because – Whatever. He's at that point of his career, but everyone else will adapt. It's going to be okay. I, I'm on truth be told. I miss Rich Hill's
1: comment. What was he
0: saying? It's not good. No, Rich Hill's comment was that. So he turned it in a different direction. He said that the pitch clock isn't fair to the fans that have paid Oh, okay, he that because, right. All, right. all right, that makes more sense. Fe- yeah. yeah, he feels like they're getting robbed of an experience because <laughs> the game's too fast, which is absolute bull crap.
1: I was going to say cuz I was during this conversation I looked up uh pitcher tempo and last year he was 32nd overall. So uh, it's not like he was a snail out there. He was he was working lightning fast. So if anyone, you know, didn't have to adapt to it, it was Rachel. No, I think it's good. There's more balls put in play. They got it's back to the baseball I watched growing up. We're still watching nasty pitches as I watched Devin Williams strike out the side of the heart of the Padres order in the ninth. We're not missing anything. It's still a damn fun game with just less downtime to fill with nothing.
0: Yeah. And I actually feel like hitters have had the harder adjustment. Like, I don't think pitchers have had that tough an adjustment. Like, they seem to have gotten onto it pretty quickly. I think hitters are having a hard time with like, oh, wow, I got to be ready to go within eight seconds. Like, okay, so it's good. It's good for the sport. Like, I, I haven't seen any apart from Hill and Pavetta, like maybe there's a few other guys, but no one else has been screaming at the top of their lungs like this is bad for baseball. No, it's been good. The ratings have been good. Games have been shorter. This is what people wanted. We don't want three-and-a-half-hour games. Like, nobody wants that. So, to me, it's been good. And, yeah, like Andrew said, Rich Hill is a fast worker. Like, he's not one of these guys that takes his time on the mound. He was always a fast worker. So, I'm not quite sure what his gripe is. And Nick Pavetta, as Terry mentioned, he's been a pretty quick worker too, and he's actually had a pretty good season so far. So, I'm not quite sure where the complaints are coming from. I don't know if it's just certain guys in baseball are not quite sure about it and they're voicing it the wrong way. But all in all, I think the pitch clock is, is good. Terry, what do you got?
2: Just one last thing, you know, Dave O'Brien, like, you know, had his war on baseball with the pace of play and now he get he's got his way and He's going to have to live with his bad ratings now with not a lot to blame it on. But I did hear him. It might have been in the Detroit series. He goes, well, you know what can still drag out a baseball game? He goes, ball four. So now, you know, he's going to start his war on walks. Maybe Dave O'Brien I, and I'm just speculating you know might advocate maybe 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 there should only be three balls for a walk or something something stupid's gonna come out of it you know from him but he loves to complain and um you know his ratings are always gonna be bad
0: oh yeah and and he mentioned it in the Tampa series like he kept bringing up the time of play especially the first game of the series where it was like 206 I think He's like, that's the way baseball should be. I'm like, uh, Dave, you know, the Red Sox lost, right? Like, okay, <laughs> but fine. <laughs> but they lost in a manly fashion. So he's happy. Yeah. No, he's always been a pace of play guy. And, you know, hey, he's getting his way. So um, I think the players need to stop complaining. And um, I think that's the way it should be. So. Uh, Moving on from that, we're going to move on to a different part of the game that involves a different part of the area of the stadium that involves beer sales. So Matt Strom, uh, former Red Sox, who's now with the Philadelphia Phillies, so far off to a good start as a starter. So I guess good for them. We'll see how long that lasts. But he went on Rob Rob, uh, Bradford's podcast recently, and he was talking about the stadiums that have decided to increase the length of time that you can buy beer. So traditionally, like if you go to Fenway, right, you know, that by the seventh inning, when that infernal sweet Caroline comes on, you can't buy beer anymore. That's it. Right. That You're done. Right. Uh, now with the pace of play changes, stadiums across the league are deciding, well, if games are going to be over in two hours, we can't stop selling beer in the fifth inning. That's just not going to work. We're losing revenue. So a couple of stadiums across the league, including Philly and a few others, have decided that the new rule is we'll sell beer through the seventh inning or through two and a half hours, whichever happens first. So, for example, if, you know, if your game is at 225, but you're in the ninth inning, you can still buy a beer, right? You got five minutes to buy a beer. Whereas in the past, it was seventh inning, you're done, right? And Fenway's one of those that does that. So Matt Strom uh, went on Rob Bradford's podcast and basically said he feels like this is an irresponsible move by Major League Baseball because his point is if you can still buy beer, and let's face it, we've all been to a Major League Baseball stadium. You can get two at a time. They'll give you two. So if you can buy two beers at a time through the ninth inning, From first inning all the way through the ninth, his concern is now you've got people who are driving to these games and they don't have time to sober up before they drive home. Whereas in the past, they could because there was a clear seventh inning cutoff and that was it. And all you could drink was water or you had no choice but to sober up. So my question to you guys is, is this a major problem? for Major League Baseball, or does this fall more on the consumers? If you're going to a Major League Baseball game and you want a drink, is it more on you, or do the stadiums and the teams take some responsibility for, hey, you can still get two beers in the ninth inning and find your own way home? What do you think, Terry?
2: Well, I mean, this in a way goes hand in hand with the pace and play like like what you said, and when the games are quicker, that's gonna drop revenue. It's gonna drop revenue when it comes to beer sales based on you know previous years. Uh, there's less TV commercials now because you know it's just it's a faster game, and I just feel like. If they want to do it, oh, well, I don't really have a, it's not usually, it's not a huge concern of mine that, that they're going to try to make a little bit more money off of it. I'd rather they do that than raise the ticket prices. Not that that won't necessarily happen anyway, but, um, not a huge deal for me, but I mean, if Fenway Park is at two thirds capacity, cause everyone got a DUI. <laughs> in the last few months, then I guess at that point we'll, uh, we'll start addressing it. But, um, I don't really have a problem with it. I,
1: <laughs> so a few things with this, I get what he's saying, but I also think he has to learn how like body chemistry and blood alcohol, uh, kind of works scientifically because 10 minutes, is not going to sober you up and you know, if that one beer was going to be the uh, make a break point of I, should I drive or I really shouldn't drive, you probably shouldn't have driven. So you, people are probably going to blame the ballparks if there's an uptick, but you do have to blame the consumer as well. I, As someone that drinks probably irresponsibly when they go to a ballpark, I live within four miles of course field, so we take either the e-scooters, e-bikes, or grabs an Uber. I don't think this half inning, extending it to the eighth, is that make or break, honestly. You know, if someone is that hell-bent at getting a beer, they're going to get it. And, you know, they're going to be double fisting. They have seven other innings. They have an hour and a half to crush. Honestly, if they have an issue with that, they're probably drinking before the game as well. So, I, I just don't see this being that big of a deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but I don't see this being this big of a ch- you know game changer, extending the beer sales. I, people are going to be irresponsible. It's kind of human nature. I mean, people drink way too much, way too often, and you're not going to stop them. It, I I really just don't understand how another inning is going to make that big of a deal because your body's not metabolizing the alcohol in time. Just don't drive is kind of the main point, especially in Boston. You have I guess the trains are pretty trash now, but <laughs> in theory of the MBTA, you have Ubers. Just just take them, be responsible, have fun, live to see another game.
0: Yeah. So, OK, from a Boston perspective, if you're driving in to go to a Red Sox thing, you're a lunatic to begin with, because uh, have fun paying sixty five dollars for parking and then uh, trying to get your car out of there at the end of the game. So I, I feel like Matt Strom. So his comments were well intended. Right. He doesn't want drinking and driving. Of course. Yeah. Nobody does. It never leaves anything good. I agree with him on that, but most people who are going to a baseball game, especially in major cities, Boston, Philadelphia, where he is now, New York, Chicago, whatever, there are public transport options available. Most people do that. There's only a handful of people that choose to go through the absolute hell that is driving into Fenway. To go see a Red Sox game. And you know what? Most of those people are like families. Like a, a father and, and mother with their kids. They're not going to drink. They, you know, Maybe they'll have one beer. But like that's it. Like those are the people that drive in. The others, the ones that really drink, tend to take public transportation. Or they just Uber. You know, like if you're close enough to the stadium, like Andrew said. It's like. Yeah, I'll just take an Uber. Like, who cares? So it was a little bit of a weird, like, out of nowhere cause for Matt Strom to take up. But I think it was well intended. But I also think that he doesn't understand, like, how going to a baseball game works as a fan. First of all, most people who go, like, especially Fenway. Like, let's just say Fenway in a vacuum. You go there. You can get two beers at a time. Right. Every time you go up, that's a fact. But who doesn't go to Fenway and get a Fenway Frank or something, some kind of food? So people are eating and drinking. And I, I don't think that people are getting sloshed inside Fenway Park. They get sloshed at like Lansdowne Pub, Bill's Bar, Game On, Caskin and Flagging, all these other bars that are around the area. They're out of the stadium by that point it's not Major League Baseball's problem. So it's kind of one of those like, yeah, we all wish that nobody would drink and drive, but there are some people who are just going to go to a Red Sox game and go, hey, let's go get hammered at the Caspian flag and it's right there. And they're going to do that anyway. So the pitch clock and increasing beer sales, I don't think really matters. And at the end of the day, I think most prudent drinkers, I you know, I put that in quotes cuz it's a weird phrase, but like if you're if you're one of those, if it's the 8th inning and you're out of beer, you go, "Okay, I can either pay $30 for two more harpoons at Fenway or I can just wait until the game's over and I'll go to the cask and get, you know, a mixed drink for 650." Yeah, I think I'll do that. So I think Matt Strom is worrying a little too much. I think people have become a little smarter about where they spend their money in terms of, like, alcohol sales. So I get his message. I agree with his message about not drinking and driving, absolutely. But I feel like he went a little too far with the whole, oh, these stadiums are evil for increasing their beer sales. No, they're just trying to make money, like like they always have. It's no different. So I don't think it's that big of a deal.
2: You mentioned the cask and flagon. Uh, You know, it's a staple around Fenway, as we know. They have really good pulled pork nachos, if you're into that. They're delicious, and uh, that goes good with beer. So.
1: I was going to add one thing, you know, Matt Strom's off to a pretty good start in Philly. Uh, but if you want to turn the fans on you, you get their beer seals, sales turned around. So <laughs> don't don't take the alcohol, alcohol away from those Philly fans. You might get caught with a uh, straight battery or two out there, Matt.
2: Four
0: yeah, innings. Especially the way Philly's going right now.
2: Four innings scoreless against the Yankees, by the way. And then he followed that up with five more innings scoreless. I forget who the opponent was, but. Off to a interesting start. He wasn't going to be in the rotation that happened due to injury. He Wasn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. So Ranger
1: Suarez uh, got hurt
2: and bumped him up. Gotcha. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that goes.
0: Yep. Yeah. We'll see if he sustains it or not. That's an interesting one. Another ex Red Sox to keep an eye on. So, um, so for our last sort of round table thing here, uh, really quick one. So, Javier Baez, uh, former Chicago Cubs legend, uh, obviously with the Detroit Tigers now. This actually happened in today's game, this being on uh, Thursday. They're playing in Toronto. So Javier Baez is on second base, and there's a fly ball hit to deep center. Baez forgot how many outs there were. So he believed there were two outs. So he sprinted to third. Thinking there were two outs, just you know, like you do, right? And there's two outs, you just go. Um, fly ball was caught. He was doubled up, and obviously turned into a double play. He forgot how many outs there were. Not to mention Javier Baez is off to a horrific start with the Tigers. Um, I think hitting a hundred or just below it. Uh, he was then pulled from that game after that play. So even though the Tigers are in last place, and I think we can all agree are one of the bottom three teams in the American League this year, um, he was still benched. Superstar player, big contract, and he was benched in early April for, quite frankly, a very bonehead play. So obviously things not going well in Detroit. Uh, Terry, what do you got on this?
2: easily one of the most hateable players in, in major league baseball. Uh, the Red Sox were connected to him, uh, the year of his free agency. I, I don't know if anything got close, but you know, they were one of the last few teams mentioned before he ultimately signed with Detroit. Uh, David Ross, former Red Sox catcher, now the manager of the, Chicago Cubs actually benched him for not running harder to first on. I think it was a fly ball or maybe it was a grounder or something. It was a routine out, but, um, you know, Baez didn't hustle. Ross didn't appreciate it. Baez got benched. Uh, also, when he was traded to New York in the second half of the 2021 season, he was involved in another smaller controversy where he, they were booing their home fans. And that was, you know, Baez was the main guy. Uh, So he made it to first and then turned to the fans and gave them the thumbs down. Um, You know, so I'm glad he's not in our clubhouse and uh, I'm not surprised that, you know, he's clashing with AJ Hinch, another highly respected MLB manager. And, um, I had one more thing I was going to say, and it, it can't be fun being on the Detroit Tigers right now anyway, but he's going about it the wrong way.
1: It's been an absolute disaster. And I posted earlier, I was like, it's just nice not to be on the bad side of one of these mega deals for, for a change for the Red Sox. Javi Baez, when he was at his best, was extremely fun to watch. I don't think there's any arguing that, you know, he was a wizard with a glove, had tremendous power that Cubs team, you know, their window (laughs) slammed shut faster than I think I've ever seen a window shut before. you'll Schwarber, Bryant and Baez, all, I think top five picks. Uh, Maybe Baez was eight or something like that, but all gone, nothing to show for it. Well, now, the Picro Armstrong, good job, Mets. Uh, they, 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 that's all they have to show for it. And, you know, they're a rain delay away from not having a World Series. But the Tigers are screwed. He's on the books for four more years. He's gonna opt-out, but we, I think we all know how that's going to turn out. It's going to be the quickest decision of this offseason. He's going to hold on to that. They're screwed. The, I, the Tigers are going nowhere fast. Jackson Job didn't work out. Um drawn a blank on the kid that they picked, uh
2: Turnbull. The other
1: pitcher, but Casey Mize?
2: Yeah, Mize is bust. Turnbull they is one. No. I forget Who the was other it? guy. There was one other guy. He was like their first rounder. We haven't mentioned him yet.
1: They're screwed. I, if Torkelson doesn't find his power, I, all they have left is Riley Green. And I forget what the exact rules are nowadays for, you know, when you can pick in the top 5 of the draft uh consecutively, but they're picking, I think it's third this season. You know, if if they're not allowed to pick that high next year, guess what? They're in a lot of trouble because no one's going in there as a free agent. I don't think anyone of matters ever signed with them. They're going to have to attach someone to get rid of that contract. And that's if a team even wants to take it. Now, let's get wild. Would you trade Chris Sale for Javi Baez, Erod, and some money and say, you know what, Detroit, Erod doesn't want to be there. Javi Baez clearly doesn't want to be there. You throw in $50 million or whatever it takes not to go over the luxury taxes season. Let's figure this out. Would you make that deal cuz you have four more years of Javi Baez and I think three of Erod. Would you do that deal tomorrow if it appro- if that uh you know came onto your table?
2: I would only do it if I was confident I could flip Baez pretty fast. Oh, I don't think you're flipping him. <laughs> so probably <laughs> not. I would love to have Erod back. That's the only thing i uh i like about it but um and i i think he's off to a decent start but uh i would i, I would decline having javi Baez.
0: that's a really tough one because oh man the opportunity to dump chris sale you can help up the middle infield which your in, middle infield is trash right now but then again javi Baez is trash at the moment too Rodriguez coming back. I think Cora hates Eduardo Riguez. So <laughs> uh, ultimately, I lean no. As much as I am so desperate to get Chris Sale the hell off my team, I still lean no because Javi Baez, that guy, I don't know what market works for him. He was really good in Chicago. You, you would think that in New York with the Mets, he would have thrived, but he did the exact opposite. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. And then randomly he signs with Detroit, a team that is a couple of years away from contending at the very least. And he's clearly not having fun. So no, I, yeah, I wouldn't do it. And Eduardo Rodriguez to me, he still scares me like between, and it's not his fault. Like, you know, let me put that out there, but like the mental health issues, like him having to step away from the game for whatever reason, I still think he has other health issues sh- on top of that. So, no, I, I don't want another. I don't want to swap an injury-prone left-hander for another injury-prone left-hander. And then have Javi Baez's mammoth contract on top of that. So, it's tempting, but no, I wouldn't do it. No.
1: <laughs> it's like, do you want food poisoning or do you want <laughs> the flu?
0: Diarrhea. That's a hard one, yeah. But, yeah, like... You you brought up the Tigers, like, Casey Mize, not working out. Jackson Job not working out. Tariq Subal, not working out. Yeah. Like, Torkelson hasn't hit yet. It's Riley Green, like, okay, yeah, he looks okay. He's got the skill set, but hasn't put it all together yet. So, the Tigers are in a really bad spot right now. Like, you've got just young guys that aren't producing that, They're trying to do the Baltimore thing, but it's not working the way Baltimore is. Their young guys are not, you know, they're not sprouting up and showing that, hey, we can be not just rookie of the year, but maybe MVP candidates like Adley Rushman or anything like that. They're just failing. So in terms of Javi Baez, this guy is just, he's one of those classic, has all the talent in the world, but does he give a damn? And if he doesn't give a damn, he's a zero to your team. He might even be a negative to your team. And that's what the Mets saw. The Cubs, I think, saw it towards the end. I think that's why they were happy to kind of part ways with him. Um, I don't know if he turns around. My guess is probably not because Detroit's not going anywhere. But you said it best. like, Who the hell wants that contract? Like yeah sure he has an opt out after this year he's not taking that opt out no he's owed twenty five million the next couple of years like he's you know and he's a below average player he's keeping that money so I don't know what stupid team would even take that deal but I can't think of one the Dodgers don't need him so that's the only stupid team on the books that I can think that has some money to do it <laughs> They're not I think it gets a it. lot worse I-, I think this is I think this is the
1: beginning of a giant snowball just rolling out of control i don't see any way that this gets fixed i think he rebels i think the tigers continue to spiral i can't see any possible way that this works out
0: does does the Javi bias thing facilitate aj hinch getting fired And like Terry mentioned, calling it, he is going
2: back to Houston next season. I would make a wager on that. That's why Dusty Baker's like, I I might retire. I don't know. I don't know what my plans are for next year. I think,
1: I think it could be worse if they fired Hinch, though, because I think he's the only thing keeping that squad from literally murdering each other in the clubhouse. I don't know. I think he's he keeps some sense of being uh, with those guys out there. He's a he's a professional. Then your clubhouse leader is a checked-out Miguel Cabrera because he's out after the season. So your loudest voice in the clubhouse, Javi, Javi Baez, is that how you want Riley Green and Torkelson to – Start their careers like this is how we approach every day. Erod's not going to say a damn thing, and and there's no one else. I I I just I don't think you can fire him just because. I, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think it. I think they're in a world of hurt. They they're in a no win situation, and they put themselves in it.
2: I wonder why his- it's interesting. Or go ahead. I was just wondering what his contract situation was. He came back when Cora did, so this would be what year three? So he probably has one more year at least. Hell,
1: I would just sit out a damn year. (laughs) Just take it. I don't I don't care. I'll let my contract run up. I won't collect. Like just take it. I'll work a booth somewhere and you know for Fox or Apple.
0: Yeah, in a way, the Tigers should have done what the Red Sox did, like bringing guys like Justin Turner and you know mid thirties veterans who can like pull a guy like Baez and even the young guys aside and be like, "Hey, get your you know what together and play ball." Because, and I don't think that's necessarily what the Red Sox needed this year, but I think that like, yeah, it, the Red Sox at least have leadership in terms of whether you want it or not, Sale, Devers, Kike, whatever. The Tigers' leadership, you mentioned it, like, Cabrera's done. Like, he's <laughs> hes just stat padding and just kind of, you know, mailing it in at this point. Like, apart from that, they have no other veterans. None. They, like, there's not a single guy who's played as many games or, you know, could even say, like, what, Matthew Boyd is your only other veteran? Like, that's not good, so... Boy, they, they might be the worst team in baseball this year. They they might actually end up with the number one pick because, oh, it's going to be bad.
2: It's definitely so, a wasteland uh, in MLB.
0: Yep, yep. And, you know, it's a shame because it's a good franchise, great stadium, good fan base. You know, they landed a big-ticket free agent guy in Baez, and it's all going backwards, so it's a shame to see because I don't know. I, I think baseball is a little bit better when the Tigers are like actually good and they're contending, but that's just me. So any final thoughts on anything tonight? Uh, nope. None for me. Okay, cool. Do it. Well, yeah, that'll do it for our bastards round table for the week. Uh, like I said, the, Weekend crew will be back with you guys Tuesday morning. They'll record when, or Monday night rather after the Marathon Monday. Should be a fun weekend here in Boston. So hopefully the Red Sox can contribute to some of that fun. But uh, we'll be back with you guys early next week. Everyone take care.